How many young kids are vaccinated against COVID? We've got the numbers. Salad chain Sweet Green goes public today. And where is the Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai? Thursday need to know. Let's go. Good morning. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Thursday, November 18th. I'm Joel Wagner here again with Baker Machado, who's in for Carlo. Hey, Baker. Good to see you, Joe Wagner, as always. Special shout out to Mickey Mouse celebrating his 93rd birthday today. Uh, Interesting thing, Jill, and I'm normally not one that likes to sort of show off all the people that I know, Um, but a good friend of mine, the voice of Mickey Mouse, and I've learned a lot about What? Yeah, really interesting. He's the voice of Mickey Mouse, and it's really interesting. I've learned a lot about how the structure of Disney is. When you become a voice of one of those famous Disney characters, it's like a Supreme Court term. You have it literally for like the rest of your life. So the woman that is the voice of Minnie has been it for like 40, 50 years, but he's like the, and the voice of Donald is like super old and goofy, yada, yada. So my friend Brett is like the youngest person that's uh, on all of the voices for Mickey Mouse. And it's just so funny that there's like a 40 year age difference between him and the rest of the characters. And he's got a gig for life, I for would life. imagine. For life, absolutely. Yes, and well-deserved. That's the only voice, by the way, he can do. He can't do anybody else, any other voices but Mickey Mouse. <laughs> That's incredible. I like how you say you're not a name dropper. The yes. only other time you've ever name dropped is when you said that you, I don't even, I hate to even say this on this podcast, uh, that you said you made out with Andy Cohen oh, yeah. at a New Year's <laughs> Eve party many, uh, many years yes, ago. Yes, yes. That one's high on my resume. Next to my objective, I, I have making out with Andy Cohen years ago. Yes. So um, maybe I am a name dropper. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. I dropped that because that I, I don't think you you never really went public with it, but you and I are both such like Bravo addicts right. yes, that you right. mentioned it. Yes. Good. Very good point. But yes, I, I, I think probably my happier days were definitely hanging out more with Mickey Mouse. Um, okay. Let's get to some actual news here, shall we, Baker? Yes. Um, Okay, I wanted to start, as we often do, with the latest on the pandemic. But interestingly, I did not want to start uh, the podcast with any pandemic news today. How I didn't even have anything in the podcast. However, we are finally getting some numbers when it comes to, to kids and the vaccine. Uh, the White House says about 2.6 million kids, 5 to 11 years old, or about 10% of that demo, uh, has actually received their first shot. Uh, And I want to mention it's just an estimate because only a handful of states are actually keeping track of the number. But I've been surprised at at how many of my friends and family members immediately got their kids vaccinated because I thought there was going to be a little bit more hesitation. Uh, I I read one report that said uh, in many cases it's actually the kids who are begging to get vaccinated because they want to get back to normal. And can you blame them? I mean, my God, these poor kids and everything they've had to go through over the course of the last year with remote work and everything. Jill, it's interesting when it comes to the COVID numbers, because in this country, they're starting to creep back up again. The two-week average is now up over 20%. We're now averaging over 80,000 new COVID cases per day. Uh, And this is leading state and local officials to begin now issuing warnings about large gatherings for Thanksgiving and the holidays as those COVID cases are starting to 
creep up. Here in New York, for instance, hospitalizations have climbed 11% this month alone, and the governor, Kathy Hochul, has now blamed vaccine holdouts uh, for the reason why those numbers are going up. And even in Germany, I just read it this morning in the New York Times, they're actually getting very worrying COVID cases in Germany, and then the numbers in Europe also starting to creep up. And so obviously there's always a concern because it usually happens overseas first before we see it here in the United States. Uh, so again, if anything, this is just a continued reminder. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you haven't gotten your booster shot, get your booster shot. I'm getting my booster shot today. I'm very excited wow. about it. Uh, so who knows what I'm going to be like tomorrow on Wake Up With Cheddar. I might have one eye open tomorrow and asleep while I'm doing earnings reports. Uh, but either way, Jill, our hope is, is that this is a better holiday than what we had last year. When we came out of the holidays, January, February, March were the worst months for the pandemic. We're still getting close to about 800,000 new um, shots per day. But either way, still, it's not the levels that I think we had wanted, even in July, when President Biden thought we were going to be at a new normal. So you were a Moderna uh, original. Yes. And now are you going to, so you're getting the Pfizer booster. No, Moderna. Even though Moderna has still not gotten it cleared by the FDA, different cities and localities, Colorado, New York City, others, have expanded anybody to be able to get a booster if you're an adult, if you want. And Moderna is part of that. So I'm going to the local Rite Aid today to get my Moderna booster later today. So I, I will be a superhuman tomorrow. All right. Mazel tov, Baker. Yes. Exciting. Uh, some troubling news when it comes to drug overdoses. The U.S. on Wednesday marked what President Biden is calling a tragic milestone. An estimated 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses in the 12-month period beginning in April 2020. That is up 29 oh. percent. The largest increases were seen in Vermont, West Virginia and Kentucky. Jill, this is so sad and heartbreaking. And most of these people who died are between the ages of 22 to 55. So individuals who had so much more life left and all the people that are being left behind from that, friends, family, children, all of that. I, I, on a personal note, Jill, this just personally makes me think that the war on drugs has just been such an epic failure because as a result of this, you have incarcerated people for things that they probably shouldn't be incarcerated for. You're getting people to find riskier alternatives to drugs out there because they don't want to get caught. This is why they're, they're going to fentanyl, they're going to cocaine, they're going to all these other sort of synthetic drugs that are out there. And the pandemic, if anything, just made it worse because people were trapped inside, they were depressed by what was happening, and it's just so sad this these numbers that 100,000 people were lost over this. Um, a lot of experts think that that part of the reason that we're seeing so many overdoses um, is because of, of fentanyl, of yeah. the deadly fentanyl in these yeah. in these drugs that are not being you know, they're not prescription drugs. They're they're being sold on the streets. Uh, young people have access, you know, via social media and the Internet to be able to get their hands on some of these drugs. Uh, just really scary stuff. Uh, turning to politics now, Baker, Democrats privately reaching out to Republicans to come up with a separate bipartisan deal for paid family leave. According to Axios, it's looking more and more likely that moderate Democrat Senator Joe Manchin is not going to be supporting that family leave uh, included in the president's social infrastructure package, the Build Back Better bill. New York's Democratic senator, or one of New York's two Democratic senators, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, she's reportedly been leading the charge. So she's had discussions with 10 Republican senators, including Susan Collins, Shelley Moore Capito, and Lisa Murkowski. 
Murkowski. And so far, some of these Republicans do seem amenable to this. Um, Democrats, though, not entirely giving up on, on family leave being part of Build Back Better. My friend Lauren Brody, she wrote the book The Fifth Trimester. Uh, she's part of the Chamber of Moms campaign. They're trying to make sure that it is actually included in the social spending package. Um, you know, I've chatted with her a bunch on this. She said, and I agree, that there has been a sea change when it comes to paid leave, in part because of the pandemic. I think we're realizing the importance of child care. And I think a lot of people woke up to the fact that the U.S. is basically the only developed country that doesn't mandate at least some paid leave. And you may not realize that, you know, if you live in New York, New York state mandates some form of paid leave. Uh, you may work for a company that uh, that offers it um, on its own. So I, I think before this moment, a lot of people may not even realize how far behind we are compared to the rest of the world. Jill, it's embarrassing how far behind we are from the rest of the world when it comes to this. And even still, so the original Democratic proposal was 12 weeks. It was stripped down to four weeks, which is apparently what the House version of this bill is going to look like. And and you could be the first one to tell us four weeks. Also a joke, by the way, four weeks of paid time off. But either way, that's better than zero, which is where we're currently at. But I, I'm putting a caveat on all this because Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, not a fan so far of the proposal, even of the four weeks plan. So that likely is going to get stripped out. From different sort of readings I've read from GOP operatives, it actually, if, if paid leave is going to survive, Jill, it might actually have to have its own standalone bill here. And it's interesting because different Republicans, most of them on the far on the most far right of it, still believe in paid family leave. It's how it actually is being paid for and how it's being incorporated. Right now, in the current inf uh, the current infrastructure bill, the federal government would pay for that. But certain senators like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, uh, Shelley Moore Capito, uh, want more business incentives for businesses to have to pay more for paid family leave. So could that potentially be a proposal that is out there. There's also proposals, albeit this one's kind of a joke, also from Marco Rubio and Joni Ernst and Mike Lee of Utah, which would basically offer parental leave benefits that would have to be repaid. So essentially you would take a cut out of your social security and then you would repay it later. That's still kind of a joke, but what? either I know that's still it's still <laughs> ridiculous, but at least at least it's a proposal and you look, you can work around that. I, 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 it makes me feel good. You're absolutely right. There hasn't been a sea change when it comes to actually wanting to get this done. And Republicans right now, because they don't want to play ball with Democrats on the infrastructure deal, are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see whatever Democrats basically propose here. But it seems like there is momentum, even from Republican circles, that maybe, let's just say if Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski can cobble together some sort of business uh, proposals that can basically incentivize businesses to give paid family leave. Will that be able to get Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin on there and potentially get 60 votes here? Well, then you don't need them, right? Like if you do it as a standalone bill and you can get a couple of Republicans on board, then you don't necessarily even need Joe Manchin. No, exactly. You wouldn't have to. But look, every vote in this sort of evenly divided Congress completely matters right now. And look, if you're going to get 10 Republicans to pass this, you still also have to get Joe Manchin on board on this at the end of the day as well. But we're going to have to see. So Joe Manchin now is sort of kind of changing his tune just a little bit in terms of the framework of when the, the, the infrastructure bill is going to get passed. Because it, as recently as last week, he had basically been saying he was going to wait until January for this bill to get done. Now he's sort of changing his tune yesterday, telling reporters he'd be fine potentially in passing the bill, uh, uh, any sort of bill maybe in December, given that Democrats have to uh, raise the debt limit 
via reconciliation in December as well. So who at the end of the day knows what the final bill will look like, but if paid family leave does not make it into the infrastructure bill, there seems like there is at least small momentum maybe for a standalone bill down the road. All right, on to some business news, Baker. The salad chain Sweet Green going public today at the New York Stock Exchange. It's going to begin trading under the ticker symbol SG. Sweet Green plans to offer shares priced between 23 and 25 bucks, at which would value the startup at about $2.7 billion. Sweetgreen was founded in 2007 by two Georgetown graduates. They have about 140 stores now in 13 states. Uh, they also announced earlier this year that tennis star Naomi Osaka was going to be their first athlete ambassador and their youngest investor. So, Jill, fast food, we talk all the time about how fast food is still everywhere. There hasn't really been an alternative out there in terms of fast food when it comes to organic, locally sourced, um, you know, sort of good salads that are out there, albeit, you know, on the higher end. I mean, you're gonna basically be paying $15 for your salad. Sweetgreen has expanded incredibly fast over the last couple of years. They're not a profitable company. They have in indicated in the past that they were, but that's not a bad thing for them, but it looks like they've been using a lot of that money to basically continue to expand. And that's why you said basically they have about 140 stores now in 13 states, most of them centered around metropolitan areas right now. Uh, but look, they, they see a future, Jill, in sort of fast, casual, healthy alternatives for people out there. Instead of going to get your burger, you'll be able to have a sweet green in each one of your city locations to sort of help you out there. So I think this is an interesting company. The other thing that's interesting with them is they are planning and investing heavily in robotics. Right now they have about 5,000 employees that are making these salads, but down the road, they think that there's gonna be a future where robots are making our salads because they're such a mobile first delivery for a sort of company uh, that that might help them with their margins. Um, do robots put love into a salad? <laughs> no, I don't know. And listen, you bring up, and I, that's such a funny thing you say that because my husband will always say all the time, I don't like this restaurant because they don't put love in my burrito. I, they don't put love in this, which is true. <laughs> when you have something to eat, you want love in the in, in it. Salad, I, I wonder though, if it's so general, maybe you don't need love in the salad. You just need to throw the chicken, the tomatoes, and the lettuce in there and you're good. It's, we get Chipotle a lot in this house, um, and I, we could always say we we joke that we know the difference oh, between there's a couple of Chipotle's within, uh, I guess, like five miles, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes from us. And there's a difference in the in the orders where we're like, you know, this one has this one was made with love. And then you get others that you're like, this one wasn't. So I think you could tell I maybe robots would just even it out, actually. They would put love right. into everything. Yes, well, or you're gonna get like the most like equal portions of everything. So some days when you get lucky, maybe you get extra chicken or maybe extra lettuce because of somebody. <laughs> you know those robots are going to perfectly measure out everything proportionally every time. Yeah, there's no going in and, and sweet talking, no, making no, chit no. chat with Can them as they're making their Can I get some extra nuts in there, please? Some extra dressing? <laughs> yeah, those robots don't understand that. Um, I mentioned Naomi Osaka before, and I, I just this is a wild story. Oh, uh, she so is wild. one of the tennis stars that is now um, pushing on social media to try and figure out the whereabouts of the Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai, who has basically gone quiet since she made sexual assault allegations against a high-level Chinese government official. Osaka tweeting with the hashtag, where is Peng Shuai, saying she hopes that she and her family are safe. Uh, she writes, censorship is never okay at any cost. There was this message purportedly from Shuai, which recanted her accusation that was briefly on one of her social media pages. Then that was taken down. 
And it's it's actually caused greater concern about her safety. Um, obviously, this story is incredibly important because we want to make sure that, that this woman is safe. Um, but it, it reminds me as well of Jack Ma from Alibaba oh, yeah. when he kind of went missing for a, a period of time. I mean, we know that he's OK. Um, but, like, you know, are these the lengths that the Chinese government is going to when, when it comes to people who are maybe speaking out or or, uh, you know, saying things that they don't like? And like Jack Ma, she is a household name in China. She is a very, very, very big deal. And this is why people are saying that they don't believe the, the validity of that email that she actually ended up writing that email saying that she was okay and recanting her story. Uh, even the, the chairman and CEO of the World Tennis Association even saying he has doubts that that, uh, that email is authentic. He said, the statement released by the Chinese state media concerning her only raises my concerns about her safety and her whereabouts. I have a hard time believing that she actually wrote that email. She must be allowed to speak freely without coercion or intimidation from any source. Uh, but Jill, we don't even know where she's at. She, she's just vanished. She's just absolutely gone missing. And so what a scary story. To, to find, that's why everybody's just trying to find out where she is. Um, all right, Baker. So that is a story we're going to definitely stay on top of here, uh, here on the podcast. Time now for a little more to know before we go. The two men found guilty of assassinating Malcolm X are expected to have their convictions overturned. It comes after a 22-month investigation conducted by their lawyers in partnership with the Manhattan DA's office. It found that the FBI and the NYPD withheld evidence in the original case. Uh, what's fascinating here, Baker, and I know this is the more to know portion where we're supposed to go quickly, but I do want to point out that this investigation was only restarted in part after that Netflix documentary oh, yeah. was called Who Killed Malcolm X? And it reminds me in some ways of, of what happened with Britney Spears, where there was that New York Times documentary about her conservatorship. And that led to all this renewed public interest in, in her story. Documentary saving the day. Don't forget the R. Kelly documentary also saved a lot of those women and also led to the charges that R. Kelly uh, was found guilty of as well. Meanwhile, a judge is sentenced one of the most prominent figures in the January 6th Capitol riots, Jacob Chansley better known to a lot of us as the QAnon shaman, was sentenced to prison for 41 months for a single felony count of obstruction of an official proceeding. Other judges are looking to the case as a possible benchmark as hundreds more of those Capitol Hill cases continue to remain, but he definitely was the most prominent because of that outfit that he was wearing. Uh, the month-long strike at Deer Factory is finally coming to an end. Union employees have agreed to a new contract, which includes new raises and bonuses. Uh, coming up at the start of next year, Jill, Amazon no longer going to accept payments from Visa credit cards that are issued in Britain. They're setting those high fees to process those transactions. Amazon says transaction prices should be going down over time with technological advancements. Apple announcing a self-service repair for iPhones, which will let customers actually buy individual parts and tools to repair their broken screens or old batteries themselves. It comes as Apple continues to face pressure from the right to repair advocates. Not entirely sure if this is for regular Joes like you and I, um, but <laughs> no. you look, in theory, people should have this right to be able to fix their own products. Jill, this is a huge about face for Apple, and even more importantly, now if you fix and up and change things on your iPhone, it doesn't invalidate your warranty, which also used to be the case. If you opened up your iPhone, you already, basically your phone was rendered useless in, in, in the eyes of Apple. Finally, Netflix giving us a little bit of 
VHS nostalgia with its freshly acquired show called Blockbuster. The comedy, which was previously passed over by NBC, takes place at the last Blockbuster video in the country in Oregon, and it follows an ensemble cast headed by the Fresh Off the Boat star Randall Park, who's so funny. I love him. This is going to be, what, like 10 episodes on this? This could be interesting, Jill, but I just I don't know. Like, is this a franchise? Can you even make a second season about what's happening at the last Blockbuster? I, I guess then you just make another document, another series about Netflix or something. Yes, true, I, I guess yes. that's part two. What I found so funny about this, and I've never felt as old as when I read our, we we did this story on Wake Up With Cheddar this morning. And the last line in the script was like kind of an explainer about what Blockbuster is. It, you know, it was, a, it was written by one of our very young producers who was yes. like, who wrote Blockbuster was an early rival to Netflix, which started its DVD mail service back in 1998. Oh, man. And I'm just thinking, we have to explain what Blockbuster is? Jill. Wow, I, we're old. Jill, I, yes. Jill, there was a time, I guess because you and I are like ancient, uh, you know, Friday nights growing up, my family, we'd go to Blockbuster and be like, what are we going to watch? And the big deal was like, what was even available in the new releases for us to be able to get? And the fury I would have when the movie that I wanted to watch wasn't even available because it was all basically sold out. So Friday night's Blockbuster, those were the places to go. And don't forget, this is still one of the weirdest stories. Blockbuster at one point had a higher market cap than Netflix, had the opportunity to buy Netflix, and they didn't do it. Blockbuster, wow. the reason why they fell apart, they did not invest in their digital infrastructure. They relied on brick and mortar. They didn't stay up with the times, and that's why this company went kaput. Um, and look, though, that's it is so fascinating, and you can always do those kind of like what ifs, and and hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, Netflix, though, at least had the foresight to realize their DVD business wasn't going to really be successful, and they evolved to streaming and yep. content. Yeah. Imagine 10 years ago saying, uh, Netflix, you know, where, where did you watch your favorite show? Oh, Netflix. It's a Netflix show. You'd be like, what? True. True. Um, so it's just fascinating how quickly the space has changed. By the way, don't forget, it's not as profitable. You're absolutely right. But Netflix still does do those DVDs in the mail for certain amounts of people. There are still people out there that still get those, which I find to be so interesting. I think Carlo is one of them. Yes, I know. At, at least he, no, I'm not joking. He has said on this podcast that he still gets those DVDs. I don't know if it was just for shock value, but he, that's his claim. Jill, the fact that he even has a DVD player is incredible to me. I don't even know. My computer doesn't have a DVD player. My house doesn't have a DVD player. If I had a DVD, I wouldn't even know where to put it. Well, Baker, we're going to leave it there. Carlo is back tomorrow, but it's been a pleasure having you on this Yes, week. I love being on this show. All right, that's what you need to know for Thursday, November 18th.